Hello, you're watching the Le Nouveau Spirit video series on the theology of the body. In this video, we are examining audience 23. We are your hosts. I am Jeremy Haasader. And I'm Guillermo Moreno. Now, something to note about this audience is that it is the last one for chapter one of the theology of the body. So this audience really is going to be somewhat of a review and somewhat of a looking forward to the next chapter. So with that, let's go ahead and begin. So some review. In the very beginning, in the first audience, JB2 referred us to the text of Matthew 19, where Christ appealed to the beginning in order to understand the teaching about divorce. And he, Christ appealed to the beginning two times. So the task of TOB audiences 1 through 22 is understanding what it is the meaning of beginning. What is this beginning that Christ referred us to? And that's what we just got done spending making 22 videos about now. Talking about original solitude, original unity, original innocence this dimension of gift, procreation, so on and so forth. It's really a remarkable amount of material he packed into those audiences. And so now JP2 is going to want to bring us to the context of today. These questions about divorce and marriage are asked at all times of history, and today, everyone is involved in this question. This included Vatican II, Pope Paul VI, and contemporary man today, 60 years after Vatican II. And what JP II says is important here, namely that it is Christ's answer to the Pharisees is the same as if you were to ask him today, what is the meaning of marriage and he would say go back to the beginning so again if we the modern men women were to ask christ what is meant by marriage or divorce jp2 will claim what well, claims that christ would just appeal to the beginning again in the beginning lies the answer to modernity's questions about sex and marriage and this beginning requires of us in order to understand christ's appeal it requires it what pope paul the six calls for an integral vision of man and this comes from paul the sixth encyclical humanae vitae this is the first time jb2 explicitly mentions the encyclical in his audiences but there's also something you need to keep in the back of your mind as you read these, because in many ways, the theology of the body is a defense of the teachings of Humanae Vitae and its condemnation of contraception, which, as we all know, is a very touchy issue today, because for most people, they are astonished when they learn that Catholics the Catholic Church believes that 
contraceptive, contraceptive use is evil. And so this demand for an integral vision of man requires us to dive deeper into human identity and the mystery of creation. But this leads us to the perspective of redemption. The mystery of redemption comes into focus precisely when we go back to the beginning, because you have Adam and Eve, they're created they're in the state of original innocence, but then they disobeyed against God and entered the state of original sin. And in this revealing of original sin and the damages it has, you get the revelation of the mystery of redemption. So from the beginning, the entrance of death and sin into human history, you also get the horizon of redemption. Real quick. Yeah. Um, I think it would be fruitful for our listeners, especially, uh, I'm not sure whether or not um, our listeners, I would imagine most of us just have not read the theology of the body and hopefully this series encourages us to do so. Before that, though, I want to recommend reading Humanae Vitae first. I do think it'll be fruitful to see what it is that Pope Paul VI said that JP2 is proceeding with the theology of the body to defend. Yeah, that's a good reminder. Humanae mm-hmm. Vitae is a surprisingly short document for the amount of controversy it produced oh yeah it's not a long document by any means you can read it easily in an hour or two or maybe three depending on your reading speed but at the very least it is not a document that requires much time to work through no and i wonder People who object to the church's teaching on contraception, I wonder how many of them actually read Humana Vitae. That is an interesting question. Honestly. Yeah. I think we'll have to bracket aside that question for now, though. Yeah. yeah. The integral vision of man and modernity. Or did you have anything else you wanted to add, Guillermo, before we That is on? all. Okay. That is all. I thought it was all, but I want to double check. Okay. Great. So the integral vision of man and modernity. So Christ's appeal to the beginning gives us an integral vision of man that is valid for modern man. It's valid for you and me and all of our contemporaries and all men and women in the future. Modernity in general however, has rejected this integral vision of man in favor of partial conceptions. And this is JP2 just speaking in broad strokes here, surveying what has happened in modernity. And so he, in commenting on this, he sees that modernity accepts half-truths about who is man, but not the whole vision. Integral means whole. So modern man in general accepts partial visions of it, partial visions, partial truths. And these half-truths 
create cultural tendencies and proposals for human behavior. And from this, JP2 claims that man becomes the object of technology and that he becomes less responsible for his own actions. Now, I bolded this phrase, object of technology, because this is going to be an important concept, a dialectical tool for diving deeper into kind of the root causes of modernity and the problems surrounding sexual morality and just our, I guess, our stumbling blocks with it church teaching and we will see this be developed much more so we just leave that as a teaser for now and so christ's answer this appeal to the beginning it indicates that man as male and female has the power to self-determine himself to decide his actions either for this integral vision or in opposition to it. And this is the drama that we are faced with today in modernity without going more into that. So then JP2 wants to talk about the role of the theology of the body. And the purpose of the theology of the body is precisely the rediscovery of this integral vision of man. And so the theology of the body is necessary for modernity. Since we have all embraced like these half-truths, well, the theology of the body is now the antidote to these half-truths. And the usefulness of the theology of the body is premised precisely upon the personalism found in Genesis, this experiential, we could say a phenomenological examination of the text of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that JP2 has been taking us through in the past 22 audiences. And so the questions here then is for everybody. It's for all modern men and women who accepted half-truths, but it's also for Christians. In particular, we're we're thinking most importantly for those who are preparing or already in the state of marriage. But in general, we could say that Christ's answers here applies to everyone in order to find his and her fulfillment whether it is the vocation of marriage or, as JV2 will later argue for, this celibacy, celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, we do get a, a little bit of philosophy here now, where JP2 explicitly states that the theology of the body is opposed to materialism, and utilitarianism and we will define what he means what is meant by those two terms in a moment so this appeal to the beginning then is a command 
to retrieve the dignity and the truth of the meaning of the body. That is the goal and task of the theology of the body. It says retrieval of the reality of ourselves as persons and our bodies. Um, Guillermo, did you have anything you'd like to add before we move on? It almost seems like inherently just whatever questions Christ is asked by his interlocutors, those are questions asking who we are and why we're here. And Christ, by appealing to the beginning, is telling us this is who we are and this is why we're here. Just, just uh, I wouldn't even say in summary, but just in short, that's what's going on when Christ interacts with his interlocutors. I think that's a great point. When we think about philosophy for a moment, in general, philosophy or religion for that matter are attempts to answer the questions, what am I? Why am I here? And we can add another question, what happens after death? And these fundamental questions that every person has to wrestle with, Christ gives us the definitive answer. And in this respect, then, we could say Jesus is the true philosopher. I like that, Guillermo. I do, because we do think of, yes, uh, Christ as prophet, uh, clearly Messiah. Mm -hmm. And I think, safe, and that's those of us who acknowledge him as a prophet and as Messiah. I think people who are not Catholic and not yet Catholic, I want to add, uh, well, who is this Christ that we compare him to so many other figures in other religions? Well, he's maybe not just like, no, not a philosopher, but the philosopher to go to for these kinds of questions and continue to follow him. And you'll see uh, who he is in the end. Yeah. Now, a little bit of caution, too, is just the words of C.S. Lewis, how Jesus is either God or he's not God. Yep. You can't just simply say he's a yep. good rabbi because yep. he claims to be God, and it's explicit in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So either he's a liar or he is God. You can't call him a good teacher or a good philosopher, strictly speaking. So that, that is something to keep in mind. Yeah, we can't just leave it at that. Because, exactly. yeah, we could go to Jesus for all these questions, but what about, well, who is he? Guess what? Right. He said he's God. The church says he's God. And as C.S. Lewis points out, well, that begs the question, like, is he or is he not? Yeah. And the weight of the world falls on that, honestly. And it's yeah. a question that every, just considering that Jesus is the most influential person in the world, in the history, in history, we honestly have to ask ourselves that question. Yeah. Is he, yeah. is he God or is he not? Is he God or is he a charlatan? And if he is God, what am I going to do about it? Am I just going to pretend that that's that I don't know that, or am I just going to ignore that? Because to do either of those things is crazy or evil. 
Right. We could we could phrase it in this way. What is my duty towards Jesus, who is God, if he is God? What's my duty to the truth and the facts? Right. To ignore them or pretend they're not there? They're, yeah. Okay. The, yeah. That'd be crazy or evil. Yeah. I feel like we can really go off on a tangent with yeah. this conversation. So I'm but, going to cut it off. Did you have any last thoughts? I just don't think it's a coincidence that we're having this topic in this conversation at the end of this first chapter of the theology of the body. Oh, certainly. I agree there. That's and all. in a lot of ways, I think JP2 is trying to bring us to that conversation by talking about what is the role of the theology of body? Why are we appealing to the beginning? Well, it's because of this integral vision of man. And you can't answer the question, what is the integral vision of man, without asking, what is man? Why is he here? And what happens after death? And that's precisely what Jesus answered. So no, very relevant, but very easily to distract us. Yeah, thank you, Guillermo. Yeah. All right. Vocabulary time. So there are three words here that each have their own philosophical usage, which JP2 uses. The first one I want to draw attention to is the term intersubjectivity. And here are three definitions. So the Oxford Dictionary states, quote, existing between conscious minds, end quote. The American Psychological Association, their dictionary of psychology states, quote, the sharing of subjective experience between two or more people, end quote. Then we have the Merriam-Webster dictionary, which states, quote, involving or occurring between separate conscious minds, accessible to or capable of being established for two or more subjects, end quote. So the thing to keep in mind with this term intersubjectivity is that it is the, it's talking about experience between two subjects, between two centers of subjectivity. And subjectivity, as we've talked about before, is precisely that which makes man a person. So we're talking about this, we're talking about interpersonal relationships, interpersonal experiences, and we will see that in the next audience. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I guess I'll just leave it at that for now in terms of intersubjectivity. It is a important philosophical question, especially when it comes to how do we know that other minds exist? That's an important philosophical question that I think everyone should think about. How do you know that there's another person that exists independently of your mind? That, that's uh, one topic that falls under intersubjectivity. Another would be, say, the emotions. And we'll see how intersubjectivity comes into play in the next chapter. Um, JP2 mentions the term materialism, and this is the philosophical view that nothing exists except 
matter or material and the various principles of movement and motion or changes associated with matter and material. And we have the second philosophical school called utilitarianism. And utilitarianism defines what is morally good in terms of what is useful or beneficial. So an important takeaway from utilitarianism is that something is not good in itself as intrinsically good, but only insofar as it is useful for someone or a group. So we talked about how the theology of the body is fundamentally opposed to materialism and utilitarianism. And this is what JP2 is getting at. You cannot interpret man as strictly a material being. Man has a spiritual principle to him. And you cannot understand man in terms of what is only beneficial. The goodness of human man and humanity cannot be evaluated in terms of use alone. And JP2 will develop this criticism as the audiences progress. Um, Guillermo, did you have any last things to add to this? I don't. All right. With that, we are going to officially end chapter one of the Theology of the Body. Thank you for watching our video. If you have been enjoying our content, please subscribe to our social media, such as YouTube, make a financial donation through PayPal, or by supporting us on Patreon. Your financial support goes towards maintaining our website and the purchase of new material so we can continue providing great videos and articles for you. Speaking of articles, you can find them on our website at laynovellestreet.com. And you can also find our podcast. Guillermo, can you give us more information about our podcast, please? Yes, we upload our podcast episodes on buzzsprout.com. You can listen to us there. Or you can use Buzzsprout to locate us at any of the platforms where we are listed, which is about 20 platforms already. And they include Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The link to the Buzzsprout uh, page for Lenovel Esprit, you can find on lenovelesprit.com. And in that podcast series, we talk about other topics besides the theology of the body. Uh, we talk about trends in culture, politics, or any topics that we feel the need to, uh, necessary to address, always from a Catholic personalist perspective. Yep. All of our social media can be found at lenovelestreet.com slash subscribe. Um, with that, please share our content, like our content, etc. Any last words, Guillermo? I want to continue to ask our viewers and listeners to please keep us in your prayers. Yep, please continue having us in your thoughts and prayers. And with that, thank you for watching our video. I'm going to say goodbye now. God bless everyone.